This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. Not bad. Just about recovering from, I think, you know, the greatest World Cup final we've probably ever seen. Quite a, quite a classic, wasn't it? It was absolutely stupendous. Uh, I, I lost my mind when the France penalty got given at three two. It was just it was just spectacular. I said to Jess actually when it was three two to Argentina, I said I want I would like Argentina to win. I think I'm not that bothered, but I think I'd like Argentina to edge it because of Messi. But I'd like it them to equalise and then it go to penalties, and then it, that's exactly what happened. So I was pretty happy, I have to say. Yeah, it was pretty pretty insane. I mean, I'd got no real preference, but I think for for Messi, you know, his career's deserved it, hasn't it? It, it would have been a travesty if he'd have retired without, you know, having won the elusive World Cup. And obviously, he's got it. What a game! And you know, I think on the whole, it, it turned out to be a far better tournament than we all originally expected it to be. So yeah, been a good month. But obviously, back to domestic action now. Most important thing: the bread and butter. I thought it was a really good weekend of Championship football. I've got a lot of things yeah, that I want to talk plenty, about. Plenty a lot of teams, a lot of situations that I'm looking forward to delving into with you over the next hour or so. So definitely want to get our, our teeth stuck into and, and some bigger picture conversations I think will be coming up in the next hour or so. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Big thank you for supporting the podcast this season. And if you weren't aware, we are giving away a copy of Football Manager for Christmas. All you have to do is head to our Twitter page, at champchatpod 24 Retweet the tweet, follow ourselves, follow Cards Accepted, and that will give you a chance of uh, getting a code from us on Christmas Eve. What a, what a brilliant early Christmas present that would be. Uh, free copy of Football Manager so you can in, in, ignore your family for the entirety of Boxing Day and Christmas Day if you so wish. So make sure you go and get yourself involved in that. And of course, on today's podcast, we're going to be dissecting a very intriguing weekend of Championship football as we officially reach the halfway mark. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we'll start with the league leaders, Burnley. They will be top of the tree at Christmas with a 3-1 victory over Middlesbrough. A comeback victory, which puts them top of the pile, as I say. They did have to come to beha- come from behind in this one. Manuel Benson, very much the, the centre of the show at Turf Moor. First, the villain with a very loose pass, which you can see he's trying to sort of switch it across the pitch. I've I found a lot. I've seen a lot, and Blackburn do this a lot. Brereton Diaz does it, where you see throw-ins thrown into a player, and they like run across the body, basically just volley it to the other side and hope someone stood over there. Well, I think he tried to do that. Got it obviously horribly wrong and sliced it. Stuck Duncan Watmore clean for on goal. Really good finish. But then, of course, Benson makes amends, atones for that error, cuts inside on that that dangerous left foot of his. You, you, you know, it was a very good point with, with Ryan Giles. Obviously, the risk and reward you've got. A player that's so good going forward offensively, but playing as a left back with that slightly less protection, maybe a little bit exposed defensively, lets Benson come inside and it's a strike at the near post. I think Zach Stefan maybe should be doing a little bit better for that one. Um, and then, of course, the the one that puts Burnley in front is just a cross. But again, Giles probably stands off him a little bit too much, lets him get it on his left foot. Lovely swing, swung in delivery, misses the head of Jay Rodriguez, but kisses the far post and goes in. We see those usually from free kicks, but uh, one from open play with the cross from the right-hand side. And then an own goal from Johnny Housen, a flicked header at the near post from a corner, trying to get his head on it and clear it, obviously, diverting it past his own goalkeeper. That, that we thought, had wrapped up the, the victory, but some very bizarre and late drama. If you haven't seen it, um, Connor Roberts is sent off and a penalty awarded for a, for a handball. Now, what I will say is I don't know why Connor Roberts sticks his hand up in the first place, but the ball basically loops up and it looks to potentially to the naked eye like Roberts punches it like a volleyball off the goal line. 
that's what the Middlesbrough players were appealing for. But on replays, you can see it actually comes off the crossbar and then flies away from the goal rather than it actually touching Robert's hand at all. I don't know why he puts his hand up. He doesn't help himself really, but it is obviously a massive error. He'll get his red card rescinded, of course. So he'll be available for Burnley's next game on Boxing Day. Oh, it's the 27th, actually. I think they play Birmingham. And obviously, Murich then saves a very poor Tuba Akpon penalty, which would have made it 3-2 and very nervy with Burnley down to 10 men. So justice in some ways, um, that the obviously Burnley weren't penalised with a goal, albeit they had to see out the final few minutes with 10 men. A really enthralling game. Obviously, I think Michael Carrick will be pretty disappointed with the, how quickly Middlesbrough let Burnley back into the game, having got their noses in front with a touch of fortune. But encouraging signs, obviously, for Burnley, who, who just don't seem to let up. They, they definitely are the most likely team to win the title. I know that's not exactly cutting-edge analysis when the six points clear at the top at the time of recording. But equally, I think you've got to look at their numbers. This spirit, you know, they've had a lot of results where they've come from behind and, conce- and, and scored late goals. The Brotherham game obviously sticks out where they scored two very late on to win the game. And it's, they've not had it all their own way. They've had times in the season where they were dropping points a lot, weren't they? I remember the late goal they conceded against Cardiff. <laughs> there was a draw against Stoke in there as well. So they've had results where they've given away points, but they've, they've got a gritty resilience now about them. They've only lost two league games and really, they've probably only had two poor 45 minutes. The opening 45 minutes at Watford, where they lost 1-0 at Vicarage Road, because they hit the bar several times and, and um, Backman had to pull off plenty of good saves in that second half. They deserved a point. And then the second half at Sheffield United, where they were leading 2-1, and then Blades absolutely blitzed them in the second half and, of course, ran out 5-2 winners. So, really, over the course of 23 games, half a season in the Championship, George, Burnley probably played two poor 45 minutes. And apart from that, have looked like automatic promotion contenders, haven't they? So they're definitely in the box seat to, to win the league title in May. Title contenders, 100%. I don't think you can possibly dispute it now. And I think you, you've you mentioned there about that 1-0 defeat at Watford. That's the only game that they failed to score in. They've gone half a season, they failed to score in one game out of 23. That speaks for itself. And I think the big thing now for Burnley as a whole, before we look at Saturday's game a little bit more, is the fact that I was a little bit critical a few weeks back where I was saying that they're only winning games by the odd goal. They're now putting teams to the sword. They're showing that ruthlessness. I mean, they've scored three goals in four of the last five games now. They've scored three goals in the last three. You know, they've scored six just since the restart. Uh, Obviously, last weekend, 3-0 win at QPR, then 3-1 on Saturday against Borough. They've got the ability to really, you know, hammer it home now that they are here to really get the job done as quickly as possible. And, I think it is a case of who can stop them. Can anybody stop them? And I don't think they can. You know, you look at their home form. They, they've not lost at home yet. Eight, eight wins out of 12. Another four draws, 26 goals scored. They've scored 20 away. The numbers just make terrific viewing. And I said the point, didn't I, last week, that if they were to beat Middlesbrough, they'd have got to the halfway point of the season, just three points shy of 50. And they've managed that. I mean, forty-seven points. Two the... points a game that we always look for. They've very much so. From very much so. They're now over that yeah. threshold of two points yeah. a game. Yeah, and you know the thing that I like about them is that they're scoring goals now at a rapid rate. They've they've scored nearly fifty goals already. That that's impressive. And you know, Vincent Company. You know, I've seen a lot of people, certainly in the responses to we've put on the on the Twitter page, praising Burnley and what they've done this season. A lot of people responding, but yeah, they've got parachute payments. They can do this, that, and the other. Maybe they have had that helping hand, but Vincent Companies had to completely rip the whole, you know, the whole infrastructure up of that club and start again, embed something new, you know, a whole flurry of new players, well, a new style, everything. To do. Like if you look at West exactly. Brom last season, for example, exactly. where Valley's Mail completely wanted you know, to change things and he got sacked after and, seven months. It just didn't work. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, you know, he's not only had to change the whole style, the whole philosophy of the club and everything. With a you know his first job in English management, okay, he knows you know English football well from his time as a player, but to have done it as well in the Championship, which is such a you know such a tricky league to navigate, it's we know how hard it is. It is arguably you know the most challenging league in the world to you know navigate your way through. It's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday every single week pretty much. But Burnley, they you know they look really really good at the minute. I think you know I think it's something like seven wins in eight games now. And 
it's like I say, they are starting to score goals at a rapid rate. And that's the thing for me that makes me think, you know, we were questioning whether they had got, you know, the, the leading marksman sort of thing. Had they got the main striker at the top end of the pitch? I don't think that is a, a real fear for Burnley now. Jay Rodriguez has done the business really well. Benson's been chipping in. Brownhill's been chipping in from midfield. You know, Zorori's done his little bit now and again. Nathan Teller. And I think that's the thing for Vincent Company. He's got goals from absolutely everywhere. That is the key thing. And, you know, if you've got that, you're going to win the league. It's as simple as that. And I think Vincent Company deserves enormous credit because, you know, I've seen some people almost, you know, almost playing down what he's done in the sense that he's got parachute payments, this, that and the other. But you look at the amount of players that they brought in the summer, obviously from, from different countries as well, that, you know, that means adaptation periods and things like that. Yeah, they've spent a bit of money. But it's not all about just spending money, as we know. Many, many clubs have done that down the years. And, you know, they've, they've not got anywhere close to achieving promotion. It's not quite that simple. So, Vincent Company, I mean, what a job he's doing. He really is. He's caught me by surprise, I must admit. I expected Burnley to, you know, have a go this season. Maybe knock on the door of the top six. But I didn't expect them to sort of, you know, be the big boys at the top saying, come and catch us if you can. But they fully deserve to be where they are. Like you say, they're over the two points per game threshold now. They're scoring goals at a rapid rate. They're playing some lovely football. And, you know, as well as that, you know, they seem to have that ability as well to come come from behind in games, don't they? They were behind against Rotherham, you think back. They were behind on Saturday. They've got it in them to, you know, that fighting spirit to come back. And if you've got all of those qualities you are going to get promoted. And I think it is just a case of, can anybody stop this Burnley side? And based on current evidence, I don't think they can. They're just, I think they're a class above. And, you know, it makes you realise just how good, you know, at the beginning of November, just how impressive that Sheffield United win was. It really does, because I can't see Burnley ever having a losing a game like that again this season. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to flag up Jordan Bayer, who's been very good at the. At he's the been match. solid. I think Taylor Hardwood Bellis gets a lot of the plaudits, and he's been very good. But I think Bayer, and I think for the, I think it's the second goal, the way he drives through midfield before flipping it out to to Benson. It might have been the first goal. I can't remember one of the two. Really good driving run, and he certainly complements Hardwood Bellis really well. Obviously, didn't start the season in the first choice selection. It was Charlie Taylor playing as a makeshift centre back. So. He's been really good in recent weeks as well for Burnley and, and solid alongside Taylor Harwell-Bellis at the heart of defence. Norwich City nil, Blackburn Rovers 2. Obviously a game I was at at Carrow Road and Blackburn finally delivering a response after back-to-back derby defeats, conceding seven, scoring just once, getting turned over twice. Really good response from Rovers. There were touches of fortune about both goals, undoubtedly. Obviously the first one, cannons off the shins of Ben Gibson and goes past Angus Gunn in the third minute. and undoubtedly the timing of that goal helped to settle Blackburn down. Of course it did, but they had already started on the front foot and they, they looked good. Of course, the Tyrese Dolan shot for the second as well, takes a big deflection off McCallum and goes into the far corner. But Blackburn were far better off the ball than they were against Preston, which is obviously something I spoke about in detail last week. They pressed from the front. Tyrese Dolan played down the middle rather than on the right and Gallagher moved over. Um, and Thomas made six changes. You know, it was bold team selection. Lewis Travis was left on the bench for the first time since April 2020. Joe Rankin Costello started at right back. He's not played a league match in the championship since August the 27th. John Buckley started in central midfield. He's only started one championship game um, since September, and that was on October the 4th. So he made a lot of changes. He, he changed the team he needed to. And the game plan worked and the players carried it out. And, and in particular, the pressing from the front in the first half was really good. Dolan harassed Hanley, harassed Gibson. And there were far better distances between the defence to midfield to attack. They were a lot more compact. I thought Buckley was really, really good in central midfield, as was Dom Hyam, who got man of the match with Sky. I went for Buckley personally, but they were my top two performers comfortably. And it's 13 wins this term already out of 23, which has been documented. Obviously, the other 10 games have all been defeats. We know about that. But what probably has gone under the radar is in those 13 wins, there have been nine clean sheets, which is a a really good record. When Blackburn get in front, you cannot question their ability of seeing out games because every time they've scored first, they've won. And equally, you can question the character about when they go behind because they've not picked up a point from a losing position. But they are at least getting their noses in front and seeing games through. And I would argue 
it's probably a harder mentality to teach to hang on to leads than maybe it is to get back into games when you're behind. That's just a little bit of opinion, really. But the stats and the numbers speak for themselves. Really good performance, clean sheet, a little bit more back to basics. It, it did at times feel like I was watching the same game as last week, but Norwich were Blackburn playing out from the back, quite slow, quite lethargic, quite passive. And it was Blackburn who were Preston chasing, harassing, harrying, winning the ball back high up. Really good response from Rovers and, and a big clean sheet and three points. Very big win. Very, very big win. You know, after the, you know what had happened prior to the World Cup at Burnley, then last week to Preston, I mean, it, it couldn't quite have possibly got any worse, I don't think. I think they were the, the lowest that Blackburn could have sunk to. So to go to Norwich, you know, we'll talk about Norwich in a few minutes and their struggles at home, but just to go there and get a win, that, that's a good result. It's not a, it's not an easy, easy place to go, Carrow Road. We know that. And you would expect Norwich to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. But for Blackburn, like you said, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yondel Thomason, you know, he made a few changes, took one or two gambles maybe, but it paid off. And, you know, I, did, I didn't see the game, even though it was on Sky, I didn't see any of it, but I've seen the highlights. And from what I've seen, Blackburn played really well. They, you know, they were the better side for long spells of the game. And, you know, a bit of fortu- fortuitous about the opening goal, but you need that shade of luck when things have obviously not been going your way in recent weeks. But I just think for Blackburn, you know, you have to take stock of the situation and look at it. The halfway mark of the season, a new manager, a very, very young squad, they're two points off the top two. Obviously, we're recording Sunday with Sheffield United, could extend that gap. They play Monday night at Wigan, but, you know, they're going to be third at Christmas, whatever happens in that game. Any Blackburn fan would have taken that in a heartbeat. I mean, you you would have said that to a Blackburn fan at the end of July. They probably would have laughed at you, to be fair. You know, because there was obviously still speculation about Ben Brereton and Diaz going. Obviously, Yondor Thomason had come in. Quite an unknown manager, really. Young players. But it's all moulded together. And yeah, there have been blips. There have been poor moments. But there's been a lot better moments than bad ones. That's for sure. And like you said, you've alluded to the clean sheet stat. It makes impressive viewing. And, you know, at times they've played some really tidy and neat football. And I think, you know, for such a young team to have come through half of the championship season and be third deserves a hell of a lot of credit, to be fair, because, you know, we know how, how ruthless this league can be as a an ability to, you know, swallow you up and spit you back out. But I think these Blackburn players, you know, even when they've lost games, they've responded quite well in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, yeah, the Preston one after the Burnley game, it, it was a bad day at the office. It happens. But, you know, you look down the stats, I think they've won six of the last nine games. That's a good run in the Championship, whoever you are. So, I think Blackburn, you know, can be very, very pleased with the way things are going. Can they keep it up, I think, is the challenge for them now. Personally, I think they could. I think they've got it in them. The I think, obviously, the fans is the scarring of last year. They were in a very similar situation. Yeah, they were. They were. Year, and, of course, blew it. Now, they did have bad injuries. A bit more luck with the injuries. Some movement in January, which I'm expecting a few incomings. And hopefully that'll stave off any major concerns about that happening. For, for Norwich, though, George, I think it's quite clear the fans very unhappy. I think you could hear that from the Sky coverage, certainly in the ground. We had all renditions of sacked in the morning, Dean Smith, get out of our club, your football is shit, to use a bit of colourful language. That That is the, the feeling of the Norwich supporters at home. They've only won five out of 12 at Carrow Road. They've seen quite a lot of teams go and win there as well. They've lost four of those games. Blackburn, Luton, Middlesbrough have all been there and claim three points. And although fans are clay- claiming they're unhappy with the style of play and it was very slow and laboured, I think Hanley and Gibson certainly in the first half had so many touches of the ball and Blackburn did a really good job of pressing and stopping the easy passes into Isaac Hayden in midfield. I do think the squad is... is If you look at the bulk of their players and even their best players in that squad, you would have to say they're on the decline. There's very few players that I think haven't yet reached their peak in that squad. I think if you look down the spine of the team, obviously Tim Krull's not in goal anymore. Um, you've got Hanley and Gibson. I would argue their best days might be behind them. Aarons has been on a, a slow decline in the last few years, I would say. Um, in midfield, Hayden probably had his peak already, albeit he's a good player at championship level. McLean probably, again, has had his, his time in the championship at, Nor- at Norwich. Pook, he's not looked as sharp this season. Sargent's probably been decent, but again, hasn't proven his Premier League quality. You've got players like Onel Hernandez, Kieran Dowell, 
Daniel Sanani. They've never really proven it in Norwich, and I'm not sure that they will get better. And that's not Dean Smith's fault. I do think the squad needs a reboot, and I think a lot of the squad probably have passed their peak. And for a lot of the squad as well, that motivation to get to the Premier League, having done it twice in a row already, and then just got relegated, basically, because they didn't spend enough money to reinforce, that motivation level surely has to drop. There probably hasn't been enough churn in the squad over the last four seasons, three summers, with the two the two promotion squads is very similar to the team they've got now, apart from probably bringing in Nunez and Sara in the summer. There's not enough change and churn, I think, in the squad. And I think a lot of that those players have probably passed their peak now. And Norwich probably do need a reboot, in my opinion. The now, now it's so much easier to change the manager than it is the squad. And I'm not saying Dean Smith is faultless because I do look at them and think he's been in for nearly a year and I don't know what type of team they are. I don't think there is an identity. Are they a pressing team? Are they a passing team? Yes, they're very slow and laboured trying to play out from the back, but I wouldn't really say they're a possession team. They're not really a counter-attacking team. I don't think he knows what system still is best. They're playing a diamond at the minute that doesn't really work, in my opinion. So it's very difficult. I think he's got to take some blame, but I do think the squad is not quite as good as it was. I think a lot of the players are probably past their peak now. Oh, I would agree with that. It's it's not a patch on what it was a couple of years ago when obviously they, they got promoted the you know, the last time they went up. And obviously the big difference then was they had a, you know, an absolute superstar at this level in Wendy. They haven't got anybody like that now. And you know, that you take anybody like that out of your team and you are gonna see a huge difference. But I think the the stat that tells me a lot about this Norwich team is if you take out the goals of Josh Sargent and Timu Puki. Their highest score in the championship is Aaron Ramsey, who's got three. I think that's quite telling. Then it's Gabriel Sara on two. Yeah. Then there's about eight, eight or eight or nine players on one. So you know they haven't got, you know, players chipping in to support the the main front two in Sargent and Pookie. But you know it, it's it's a weird one with Dean Smith because I've always rated him as a manager. He did a very good job at Brentford. He did a great job at Aston Villa. Even did a very good job at Walsall several years ago when he was working his way up through the leagues. But it's just not quite worked out at Norwich, but I think it is, you know, is it a blend of players and manager and everybody, everybody in football, whatever club you go to, whatever it is, you know, when things aren't going away, it's the manager that gets the brunt of it. It's never the players because, you know, it's far easier, as you said, to change your manager than chase a whole squad. But I think Norwich are going to come towards, you know, the end of the cycle that they've been in for the last few years. And it does need a freshness, I think, that squad. And I mean, you know, I think it's in midfield where they really like. They lack creativity for me. They lack a spark. They lack a bit of energy. They don't really have any, you know, in the in the nicest possible way, I don't think Norwich are a team that, you know, have got individual talent to excite and entertain. I think that's what it is. Whereas they had Buendia a couple of years ago. Now they haven't really got anybody. Because, you know, Pookie, his is, is record's phenomenal. He's not exactly a player to excite and get bums off seats, so to speak. And, you know, I think Max Ahrens is a good one to point out because, you know, everybody was dubbing him as the, you know, he was going to be England's right back of the future, wasn't he? He was going to be the next big thing. If he was really kicking on that much, how come he's still there? Well, two summers you know, ago, or two and a half that's years ago, I mean. Barcelona won. And, you know, you know he, he's he's only 22. It seems quite remarkable he's 22. He seems to be around forever, but he's not really progressed. And, you know, like you said, people like Grant Hanley now, Tim Krull, they are, you know, they are slowing down and things like that are going to happen. So I think it is a blend of both for Norwich, but I just look at their results and they're just so, so inconsistent. That is the thing. I mean, you know, they had that run, didn't they, back in August and September where they went and won six in a row. That came to an end on the 14th of September. They've not even managed to string two wins in a row since then, which tells you everything. They've got absolutely no consistency to them. They've lost two of the last three and let's not forget, they were incredibly lucky to win at Swansea last weekend. How on earth Swansea did, you know, <coughs> excuse me, didn't get anything from that game. He's still beyond me. It really is. Swansea battered them on the day. So really, Norwich, have, have, you know, they, they could have quite easily lost their last three games. because Obviously, they lost to Borough, didn't they, prior to the break 2-1. But it's this Carrow Road record that's really, really poor now. I mean, they've won one of their last seven at home. For Norwich, you know, we've been renowned for, you know, associating them with a brilliant home record in the championship in recent years. And 
it makes you wonder, is there still a hangover from the Premier League relegation last season? Because they've been on this cycle of up, down, up, down. Maybe it'd be best for them not to get promoted this season in a strange sort of way, as daft as it sounds, in the chance that it would allow them maybe to take stock, reset and build something better for the long-term future rather than going up to, you know, most probably come straight back down again. So it's a strange one for Norwich, but it's a, it's a weird one for Dean Smith because as I say, as a manager, I've always rated him, but it's clearly not working at the minute. You know, the fans clearly aren't happy. You were there yesterday, you heard the chants. They came across quite clear on TV as well in the, in the highlights I saw. So it does feel like the Norwich fans are pushing, obviously, for the apps to come down on Dean Smith. But I think he deserves a little bit longer because, you know, they're still in a relatively healthy position. They're still in fifth place. They're in the playoff picture. Admittedly, it's a very tight playoff picture. But, you know, a couple of wins and they could be knocking on the door of second place. But it's it's a case of the Norwich fans obviously want to see a better standard of football. They want to be entertained. They want to see something a little bit more energetic. So for me, Dean Smith for now, I think he, he clings on, but these two games that Norwich have got over Christmas, I mean, looting away on Boxing Day and Reading at home on the 30th, he's got to get something from them. He really has. For me, If he's got to get a minimum of four points in those two games. He's, a, he's under pressure. Absolutely. Huddersfield nil, Watford 2. Watford remarkably in fourth, now under Slavon. Yeah. After a good run of results. João Pedro with both goals. In this game, a late header clinching the points in particular. Like the look of Tom Deli Bashiru back in the team. Him and very weirdly Andrew Bakuna signing for them, by the way, after six months of not having a club, getting released by Cardiff to then go and slot straight in at, at Huddersfield away for Watford. Very weird. But Deli Bashiru obviously was on loan at Reading. He he looked good with some good driving runs, helped to set up uh, the first goal. And... For me, when you look at Watford and you look at the recent run, it's defensively the particularly improved. It's four clean sheets in a row, but it extends longer than that. They've only conceded twice in their last eight games. Since losing to Millwall 3-0 on that, that very poor Wednesday night, that that has been clearly the, the, the catalyst for change for them. They've kept six clean sheets in those eight games and only conceded twice, as I say. So it's defensively where Watford have tightened up at the back particularly still playing with a, a 4-2-3-1 shape but Village has got them more compact and certainly doing something right defensively and then of course in attack they've got the quality to hurt you you know they started this game with their best front four Semmer on the right Asmir Saar back from Senegal on the left and Pedro playing just behind Keenan Davis so that is a good enough quadrant that will um, win you games in the championship if you can stay tight at the back which Recently, they have, and that's why they're fourth in the league. And you don't need to do a lot. You know, a good run of six games will, will catapult you right back into that playoff picture. And right now, you'd say the Watford hierarchy will feel their decision to sack Rob Edwards and bring in Slavin Bilic has been justified because I, don't, I can't remember where they were, maybe 10th to 8th when he got sacked. And now they're fourth and looking pretty likely they'll they'll improve in the second half of the season, I would argue. So, good result for them and a 2-0 win at Huddersfield. Yeah, they were 10th. I've just had a look at that. I think his last game in charge, Rob Edwards, was that 2-2 draw with Sunderland, wasn't it, on the 17th yeah. of September. And then Billich came in, obviously won the first game at Stoke, um, 4-0. Uh, and, you know, then he then he actually lost back-to-back games, didn't he? he? In fact, he lost three of the next four. So, at that point, he kind of thought they jumped the gun a little bit too early. But since then, it's been a remarkable turnaround. And like you say, it's been the the run of clean sheets that's been central to it. I mean, they've not conceded a goal now. All right, we've had the World Cup break in between, but they haven't conceded a goal in terms of a date since bonfire night. That was the last time they conceded that 1-0 defeat to Coventry. So they've kept four clean sheets in a row. And after back-to-back draws, obviously, which they would have been disappointed with, to get back on track away from home, it's it's another step in the right direction. And, you know, when you've got a quality back line and you've got somebody like Joao Pedro at the top end of the pitch who is just getting better and better it seems to be honest with you he, he is a really special player now Watford are going to be in the hunt and you know as the season progresses they're getting better that's evident would expect one or two moves in January could they make a top two push I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility because you know they've got a manager in Billich who's been there and done it 
He knows, you know, he knows English football. He knows the championship well. And, you know, if they can keep hold of their, their star players in January, they've got a really good chance, Watford. And, you know, you look at João Pedro now, the last four goals that Watford have actually scored, they, they've, they've all been his. So it, it tells you everything about how important he is and they'll be desperate to keep hold of him in January. So I just think it's a case of Watford, for me, they've just got to keep doing what they're doing because it's quite clear, you know, that they're, they're finding a way to win games. They're solid defensively. They're not scoring bucket loads of goals, it must be said, but they're finding the way to, you know, get the job done. And that's what you need in the championship. When you can't win, say, you know, glorious, like like, like Burnley are, for instance, I and mean, it's scoring three or four a game, Watford are finding a way just to grind it out. And, you know, 2-0 at Huddersfield, potential banana skin, I actually had it as my shock for the weekend with Huddersfield to win. So, you know, they've come through the test. And now they've got, you know, two more games to close out the year. Millwall at home on Boxing Day and then Swansea away. And realistically, you wouldn't rule out Watford taking six points on those games. You would like to think they go into both as favourites. But I think overall, I think Watford's owners, as questionable it was to get rid of Rob Edwards so early on, their decision is, you know, it's been vindicated so far because Billich has come in, he's had a clear impact. Yeah, they've had one or two poor results along the way. But overall... Their form at the minute is looking really, really good. And you would like to think, as the season goes on, they're only going to get stronger. The thing for Huddersfield, though, George, is obviously it does look like they are going to go down bar a miracle. They're desperate for some investment in the squad in January. I think that's quite clear. The squad is is desperately lacking in terms of attacking talent. Obviously, they haven't particularly lost anyone going forward compared to the team that finished third last year. But Sober Thomas hasn't been at the same level. Danny Ward, I think we always feared that last year was probably the anomaly rather than a trend. And Tino Andrews had injuries. Dwayne Holmes has not been at it. They're really struggling in attack. They don't look like capable of scoring goals. They didn't play awfully at the weekend. And yet they were quite comfortably beaten by Watford. Now, Watford are one of the better teams in the league. But for me, it's quite clear this, this squad needs some investment in January. And the problem is... Are they going to get it? The, obviously, there are problems with the ownership at the moment in terms of money being put in. Uh, Dean Hoyle has, has, has sort of retaken charge of the club day-to-day running and financially uh, with Hodgkinson completely out of the picture after his businesses went into administration due to the pandemic. So it's a tricky situation. How much money has he got in? How much appetite has he got to spend all that money having left the club once and sort of stayed around for in, out of the goodness of his heart, really. I don't see big money being invested. And without that, I think Huddersfield are doomed. Yeah, it certainly looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, you look at the table now, there's seven points adrift at virtually the halfway mark. Huddersfield have got one game in hand on a couple of teams above them, but it's not good, is it? I mean, I've just had a brief look at their stats. They've scored three goals in the last nine games. That tells its own story. That is a really, really, you know, a really poor record. I mean, they've, gone three games without scoring now as well. They've lost two games since the restart, albeit against two very good sides. It must be said they have played two, you know, promotion contenders that you would expect come the end of the year. But it doesn't bode well, does it? And it's quite obvious to, to everybody that they need some investment somewhere in, in January, particularly in the, in the attacking department. But the problem for Huddersfield is they're not going to be a particularly, you know, attractive proposition, are they, in January with the position they're in? You know, form this season has not been good at all. It's it's really, really poor. They've not even, you know, they've not mastered more than one win in a row this season. So to attract a striker that, you know, is going to be of good quality for what they need at this level, it's going to be really, really difficult. And, you know, I look at it and I think, you know, Mark Fotheringham's come in. There's been some one or two decent results in there, but I've not really seen a massive impact. And I wonder, is it his bullish approach? You know, I've I've heard from people that, you know, his his attitude towards his players has been quite quite harsh at times. He's kind of really laid the really laid the blame at them opposed to himself. And yeah, of course, your players have got to take responsibility. But when you're relatively new to a club, do you come in and start throwing your weight about like that when you've not, with the greatest of respect, not exactly got a managerial record to suggest that I can go in and dictate like this? Really, to be fair, it's not as if he's somebody of a of a Neil Warnock type that's been there, you know, and achieved a hell of a lot in the game, whereas Mark Fotheringham so far certainly hasn't. So it's an interesting approach. And at the minute, it clearly isn't working. And to be honest with you, 
I, I just can't see them getting out of it. I really can't. At the end of the day, if you can't score goals, you ain't getting out of this situation. And for Huddersfield, it's just such a such a crying shame from where they were this time, you know, 12 months ago. It's it's unbelievable. You just could not have seen this coming at the end of last season when they lost the playoff final at Wembley. So they've got a really big period coming up and you look ahead to the next few games, they've got Preston away on Boxing Day and they've got back-to-back home games against Rotherham and Luton. They've really got to, you know, they've got to get something from these three games. That's for sure. I think you, you've got to get really the situation. I think they've got to get at least six points, but I can't see it. You know, they just, they don't look like scoring. And at the end of the day, if you're not doing that, you, you're not going to get out of trouble. So for me, I think, you know, we've still got a long, long way to go. Things can change very quickly. And, you know, we've seen situations change, such as at Middlesbrough, West Brom. But for Huddersfield at the minute, they, they look doomed. They really do look doomed. And, you know, I do question the, the appointment of Mark Fotheringham. I questioned it at the time. Didn't think it was a particularly good one in the situation they were in. And at the minute, it's clearly not working. So, you know, it's it's been a real disappointment for Huddersfield so far. And to be honest, at the minute, I can't see him getting any better anytime soon. No, it's a real concern for Huddersfield Town. It's now five wins in a row, though, Judge, for, for West Brom and Chalbian. Um, they're certainly flying up the table. They look so much better across the pitch. When you look at what Carlos Corbran has done coming in, he's just improved the entire team. The midfield looks better. The attack looks better. The defence certainly looks better. And they seem like they've got more control in games. And it's not even a case of he's playing a defensive-minded team. You know, you look at the team of the weekend, 4-3-3, two number 10s really in that midfield department with Rogic and Swift anchored by Yukuslu. And he's had a major impact, which... I, think, I don't think we were in any doubt of the, the quality of manager that Carlos Cobran was coming into the West Brom job and he was always going to be an upgrade on Steve Bruce at this time in Steve Bruce's career. I think we were both of that opinion, but I certainly didn't expect the impact as quick as it's come. And they, they looked like Huddersfield of last year very quickly and we didn't know how, how quickly that would happen because obviously in the first year of Carlos Cobran, they tried to play really open, expansive football and conceded a, a boat ton of goals, nearly got relegated. In the second year, of course, it was absolute utopia. So we didn't know which version we were going to get. And I think we're probably somewhere in between, given you would say the West Brom squad is far more naturally talented than that Huddersfield squad of last year. But to have made them so defensively solid so early, I didn't expect... I thought Corbran was a good appointment for the long term, but I didn't expect such a, a short-term impact that he has had. But five wins out of six in his... Managerial reign so far, five in a row, and another clean sheet at home. It's going as well as it possibly could for Carlos Corbran and the Baggies. It's going very, very well, isn't it? It's it's a remarkable run that they've gone on, and you know, to win five of your first six. And when you remember his first game was literally, you know, a few days after he'd come in, Sheffield United at home. He couldn't have really asked for a, you know, a more challenging start. But since then, obviously, he's had time to spend with his players. The World Cup break probably helped as well in that. And they've responded with five wins out of five. I mean, you know, and kept four clean sheets in that run as well. That is really impressive. And, you know, when you actually when you actually consider the last five games, these five wins, they've even gone five games without conceding from open play because obviously Sunderland's goal last Monday evening was, was a penalty from, from Ahmad. So, um, you know, Carlos Coburn has gone in there, he's showed them up, he's made them difficult to beat, but at the same time, for the first time, all right, you know, there were narrow wins against Blackpool, QPR, uh, Sunderland. But against Rotherham, you know, they had the bit between the teeth. They were they were aggressive. They, they had a little bit more about them. They were a little bit more clinical when the chances came. And I think you go back to the point you said with the, you know, the quality of the squad compared to Huddersfield. If you look at the players that Carlos Corbin had on that bench on Saturday afternoon, what an array of talent. I mean, Grady Dean Garner came on. Carlin Grant, Thomas Asante came on well, as well. Two of, them, two of them scored, didn't they? So, yeah, Jason Malumbi. So, and Taylor Gardner-Hickman as well. You know, he's got plenty of promise about him. And then you look at the, the the starting eleven that played and there's a lot of quality in just in that area of the team. You know, Jed Wallace up front, Matty Phillips. Yeah, he's getting on a little bit now, but he's got the know-how, he's got the experience. And of course, Daryl DK is now back in the frame as well. And we know what he's capable of. Obviously, we've not seen, you know, anything of him really at West Brom yet. He got his first goal against Sunderland last Monday evening. So hopefully that'll kick him on. But, you know, even in midfield, Tom Rogic has really kicked on. Yukoslu's come on. John Swift does what John Swift does. The, you know, the, the squad is littered with talent throughout. And, you know, 
I think if they can just maybe beef up one or two areas in January, I think West Brom, you know, have got it in them to kind of perhaps not go all the way, but certainly, you know, have an attempt at what Nottingham Forest did last year and rise from the bottom to the, to the playoff places come the end of the season. I mean, they're 16th in the table at the minute. You know, they're, they're only a handful of points, five to be precise, off the playoffs. It's certainly possible. There's no doubt about it in this league with this playoff race. I mean, you look how tight it is. You, you know, Coventry are a point in front of West Brom. You consider them a playoff contender. Why shouldn't West Brom? Terrific job Carlos Corbran's done so far. You know, they're playing some nice football. Really difficult to, you know, beat at the minute as well. So he seems to have just gone in there and made an immediate impact because, you know, me and you were saying weren't we, when he got the job, was it going to be a case of, was he going to need a little bit of time like he did at Huddersfield just to get his philosophy across? But he's got a better crop of players this time around. And I'll tell you something, you know, you look ahead, West Brom are actually playing in, the, in you know, in the league actually on Wednesday evening as we record on Sunday. They've got Coventry away on Wednesday night. That could be a really interesting game, you know, going into Christmas um, and then obviously Bristol City away on Boxing Day. So, you know, back-to-back away games to West Brom, but I won't put it past them winning them both. They're, they're looking really good at the minute. And, you know, for the fans, after obviously the way things went to see Bruce, they'll be absolutely loving every second of this. From the flip side, I'm really concerned about Rotherham. I do have to say yeah, that. Yeah, there, I, I there it is. I've, I think they might Real get relegated, trouble. if I'm being completely honest. I, I'm... They're sinking without much of a trace at the minute. They're conceding very soft goals. I mean, the second one that the Ingarna scores from a Rotherham point of view is really poor. Personnel doesn't quite look right. And my concern is, and I think I said this last week, I think they might be weaker after January than stronger. And they need reinforcements to make the squad stronger. And I'm actually more concerned they might end up selling a Barlazer and an Andernog Bene because they've got six months left on the deal. And I'm not sure they'll attract that quality of player regardless of what money they get for them. So my, my concern about Rotherham is the, the obviously the really poor form, the leaking of goals, the lack of attacking threat, particularly away from home. And I'm not convinced that they'll be stronger after January. In fact, I, I probably would guess they'd be weaker, which is obviously the complete wrong way around. So I do worry about Rotherham. And if you had to ask me now, I think they probably might go down, which is very disappointing after the start they had to the season. Yeah, I, I think it is possible, to be honest with you, you know. But I look to the point where, obviously, they lost their biggest asset, didn't they? And that, you know, was always going to have a knock-on effect. And losing Paul Warren after so many years in charge was always going to take its toll. And, you know, Matty Taylor came in and, to be fair, he didn't have a bad start. He got off to an okay-ish start. I know you saw them at Blackburn in just his second game. And you said they actually played all right, to be fair, certainly for parts of that game. Definitely. Then they followed, then they followed it all with back-to-back wins. Then the form slumped. Then they got a really good win at Sheffield United away from home. And then since then, they haven't won. So, you know, and they've conceded six goals in the last two games since the restart. So, you know, it's, it's not looking good for Rotherham. And it's their home form as well that's proven a real concern to me now. They've only won one at, once at home since the 14th of September. And, you know, we're here four or five days before Christmas now. So... It doesn't look good for the Millers. And like you say, the prospect of losing Barlasser or Ben A, Ben Wiles maybe in January is going to be a real concern for them. But you look at where they are at the minute and for me, they've got to try and find a way to strengthen this back line because like you say, it's becoming incredibly leaky now. I and at the start the of the attack, season, the that wasn't the case. The defense, really. It's probably a blend of both, to be honest with you. Because, you know, they, they've not looked solid defensively of late, certainly at home anyway. And, you know, obviously 3-0 at West Brom. Yeah, admittedly, West Brom are on the up at the minute. But I looked at that 3-1 defeat to Bristol City at home. That's a really poor result because Bristol City, we know, have been... They've been very poor themselves so far this season, to be fair. Very strange side, Bristol City. And, you know, I just think for Rotherham, I just think they're destined to, you know, carry on in this cycle of up, down, up, down, up, down because every time they get to the Championship, they just never seem to be capable of taking that next step to consolidate and stay here. So... Big month for them next month. It really is like Huddersfield. Got a lot of work to do. But again, it's not exactly, at the minute, a very attractive proposition to, to join, is it? Birmingham City, George, they claim victory on Friday night, beating Reading 3-2 at St Andrews. A very weird game, this one, in the fact that Birmingham were 3-0 up at half-time. They were very good in that first half, but you have to say some of the defending for, from Reading was particularly awful. I think for the second goal, where Tahiti Chong just it slips under the boot of the Reading defender. Chong goes around the goalkeeper. Really soft goal to give away from a, a Reading point of view. 
Troidini with a brace. He just loves to smash a penalty straight down the uh, middle, doesn't he? So I think we could always knew what was going to happen when he stepped up for that one. Really good finish. And then in the second half, they, they sort of took their foot off the gas a little bit, Birmingham in truth. Reading were better. And then two late goals um, certainly changed the, the scoreline, restored a little bit of pride, made it a bit more respectable. But I think you'd have to say Birmingham deserved the victory, particularly in that first half. They were, they were very dominant. Obviously, made a few changes, played Dini up front as a, more of a focal point with Chong playing off him, Scott Hogan on the bench, Hannibal in midfield with Bielik, moved things around a little bit, and they certainly got the, that attacking upgrade that they were looking for for, for the Blues. Yeah, definitely. I watched the game on, on Friday night, and it was, it was quite an interesting game, actually, wasn't it? First half, it looked so, so convincing, so comfortable, Birmingham well on the way, and then the second half, up until you know, the last 10 minutes looked like Birmingham were just going to see it out, even though they didn't really do much, much, uh, you know, didn't carry much of an attacking threat in the second half, to be fair. Then obviously Reading made a bit of a grandstand finish, which was just a little bit too, too little too late. But overall, you know, Birmingham, they, they've had a really, really good season so far. They've had a cracking season. I'd go as far as say Birmingham, perhaps, you know, biggest surprise package of the season so far, maybe, where they are. Eighth position at the halfway mark. I don't yeah, think I many think, Birmingham think fans would have predicted that. I think that's probably you know, a I think fair point. When you consider where they were, you know, with all the off-field issues, John Eustace came in and, you know, I kind of looked at that point when I thought, bit of a gamble, bit of a risk, you know, not really had much of a managerial career so far other than obviously the bit of a stint at QPR. But he's come in and he's done an absolutely outstanding job. Obviously, he's got the connection with Birmingham. You know, he, he knows the club inside out. He, you know, he's born and bred in that area. And, you know, he... he He's got the passion and the drive for it, and you can see that that's translated into his players. And you know, with it, you know, somebody like Troy Deeney, who you know idolises the club at the top end of the pitch, you've got two key figures there that you know are going to be key voices in the dressing room. Certainly, Deeney as a player to kind of galvanise the rest of the group. And you know, for Birmingham to be sat in eighth place at the halfway mark of the season, two points off the playoff places, that's a remarkable effort. That it really is, you know. And you know what the thing is? I've actually seen quite a bit of it because they've had, you know, they've had a fair few games of Friday nights, haven't they, on you know Sky like this season? Most of their home games have been Friday night on Sky. Yeah, they've had a lot of them. And to be fair, I've watched quite a few of them because Friday nights and all evenings where I'm, you know, I've not really got much else to do. But every time I've watched them, I've been impressed by them. They look a well-organised team. They've, you know, they've got really exciting young players, albeit on loan in in Hannibal, and you know, they've obviously brought Chong in permanently in the summer and, he, you know, he's going up through the gears more and more. He'll get better and better. And then you've got Deeney, obviously, at the top end of the pitch. Scott Hogan, obviously absent on Friday night, but he's played a key role so far this season. So I think, you know, and, and trusty at the back, it must be said, at centre-half. So they've got, a, you know, when you break that Birmingham team down from, from back to front, they've got a good squad. There is a lot of talent, a lot of championship experience in there and there's a lot to like about it. So I think for Birmingham now, it's just a case of see where the season takes them, really. You know, they've got no expectations of getting in the playoffs. But, you know, what's to say they couldn't with the way things are going in the, you know, in this really tight playoff race? They've got just as big a chance as anyone. Absolutely. They've done really, really well, haven't they? Let's be fair. I think I predicted them to finish rock bottom. But a lot of that, I have to say, was based off the off-field, off-field problems. Issues. Yeah, and I think... In the back of my mind, I think I've previously not waited enough. Well, I, I had them in twenty third. To be fair, yeah. Well, so I, don't, I don't feel I horrific because I, I I didn't think they were going to be the worst team in the league on the pitch. I thought they might get a points deduction, and that that's what I was trying to factor in and the issues off the pitch. So I don't, it wasn't. And I didn't expect them to be eighth or in the top half of the table. Don't get me wrong, but I probably thought they'd be in the bottom third on the pitch. Between sixteenth and bottom, the bottom third. But equally, I thought the off-field issues could really derail them. And so far, touch wood, it hasn't. So yeah, real credit. They're looking good, Eustace and I think the job he's done there. I think the biggest takeaway, just last over I think for John Eustace is the fact that you know not only they're playing good football. I think there's a real spirit and togetherness in that team. I think he's galvanised. You know, he's galvanised the team. He's connected with the fans and things like that. And, you know, good luck to them because, you know, as, as I've said quite a lot in the last few months, Birmingham fans have had a lot of misery and a lot of pain to put up with in the last few years. But this season, I mean, as I said just a few minutes ago, I think it's just a case of enjoy the ride and see where the season takes them because there isn't the expectation of the playoffs. They're not going to go down. No no concern of that at all. But, you know, 
who knows? Why can't they go one step further than everybody thinks? There's a chance. This game at Deepdale, George, probably summed up what I think of the championship this season, where you've got a Preston North End side who absolutely battered Blackburn last weekend, putting their best performance of the season. You've got a QPR side that are bang out of form. But, granted, new manager coming in, players wanting to impress. So, obviously, the full-time score was Preston North End nil, Queen's Park Rangers won. A big win for Neil Critchley in his first game in charge. He stayed with the 4-3-3, which they played for the, the bulk of the season. Timmy Robinham getting lots of love for his performance in central midfield, of course, on loan from Aston Villa. And he, he put in a really good performance, some really eye-catching passes, some nice vision. He, he can carry the ball as well through the thirds. Good technique on him. He looks like an Aston Villa loanee, in fairness. He's got that, that technical quality you'd expect of a player schooled in a Premier League academy. And... Yeah, I don't think QPR were amazing, but I think they were solid and more solid than they've been in recent matches. And, you know, scrappy set-piece goal off the fire of Jim, Jimmy Dunn to get the win. And Neil Critch's side saw the game out pretty well, apart from one big chance for Ben Woodburn at the end. And that was the best that Preston really created, which for how well they've been doing away from home and cutting loose, clearly there is an issue when they have to have the initiative and they have to set the tempo of a match and they have to be the ones that dominate a game. And, you know, as teams come and sit in at deep down and saying break us down, they're clearly struggling to do that because the home form is so poor in comparison to the away form, which is really strange. And they just don't have a cutting edge at Deepdale for some reason. Like they're really struggling to create clear cut chances and score goals. So I don't really know what the answer is because clearly they can do it away from home. Maybe they are a team that at the moment with this squad is, is better geared to playing in transition, playing on the counter-attack. But look at the players they've got, and it doesn't strike me as, as that would be obviously the case. But clearly there is such a disparity between their away form and the home form. And I just think this game summed up where we are with the championship right now, George. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense, Bonkers. does it? No, it doesn't. But the old uh, new manager syndrome happens again, doesn't it? That new manager bounce, a new guy comes in, and you know things suddenly change in, in a heartbeat. And... You know, we, we literally finished recording last week, didn't we? Just, you know, a couple of hours before QPR officially announced the appointment of Neil Critchley. So it's the first time that we've actually spoke since that was confirmed. And personally, I think it was the, you know, probably the, the best shout they could have got in terms of managers available out there at, the, at that moment. So really good appointment for QPR. I was very impressed by the job he did at Blackpool. And I think it's showing this season with Blackpool, isn't it? Just how good a job he did with where they are at the moment. So, He's looking, you know, it looks like they've got a really good manager there. But like you said, they've gone to a Preston team that were obviously on such a high after blowing Blackburn away, you know, last weekend. And QPR, they dug in, they were resolute and they did what they had to do. Scruffy goal, but, you know, it's a first win in a away game. Clean cheek, Neil Critchley couldn't have dreamt of a better start, really, when he went to bed on Friday night. So he'll be really pleased with that. And, you know, reading some tweets from some Preston fans on Saturday evening, a few I saw said that, they were happy to accept that QPR won. They were the better side of the day, did the basics better. So, you know, really big win for, for the R's and that, that's the start that they would have wanted to make under the new manager. And, you know, they've, they've really, they've, they've been through the turmoil a little bit, QPR, in the last few weeks. Obviously, the season started so well and there was the, obviously the whole Mick Beal thing. He's going, he's staying, he's going, he's staying, he's going. So, it was all that to contend with. Obviously, not just one, obviously, one job rumour with the Wolves bomb. Then the Rangers thing came up and obviously he did go. So, you know, it's it's hardly surprising that QPR suffered a blip because the players mustn't have known if they were coming or going. But hopefully now they're going to get some stability to Neil Critchley. They've got it sorted. They've got a new guy in. Got off to a winning start. And, you know, they're in the top six still. Unbelievably, despite the really poor run they've had, they are still in the top six. So they've got just as good a chance as anybody in this race. And, you know, we saw at the, you know, at the, at the very start of the season, didn't we, what they're capable of. You know, the likes of Willock and... And chair and players like that are capable of, you know, making things happen. So I do think they possibly need an injection of quality in January, which I'm sure Neil Critchley will be looking to do. But overall, you know, the, the basis of a good squad is there for him to work with. And, you know, they're, they're sixth in the table, so you can't be too critical. They have won 10 of the first 23. They, you know, they've lost nine, admittedly, but Blackburn have lost 10 and look where they are. So, you know, it, it is swings and roundabouts, isn't it? It all adds up come the end of the season. But at the minute, QPR, I think, if you'd have told any QPR fan at the end of July, the first game of the season, you know, when they, when they lost at Blackburn, you're going to be sixth at Christmas, having had the upheaval of losing your manager already, who's only just come in, 
You know, you've waited three or four weeks before finding a successor, but you're going to be in the playoffs for Christmas. They'd have taken it. You know, when you look at the league table, QPR have not dropped beyond ninth place since the sixth game of the season, which tells you a lot about, you know, they've been up there since pretty much day one. So they're in a good position. They're in a healthy position. Let's see how they crack on. But at the minute, you know, they're looking good under Neil Critchie, one game in. It's a good start. On to the next one. Simple as that. And then finally, Bristol City 1, Stoke City 2. Definitely feels like, I feel like we've said this a few times this season, one step forward, two steps back for Bristol City. They were hoping to be four unbeaten and obviously got themselves ahead against Stoke through Narky Wells. But I think that you can just see they're so not settled right now. Andy King, we spoke about him playing in the middle of a back three last week. This time he was playing in a just centre-back in a back four. And it's just very strange. And I don't know if you've heard... Nigel Pearson's very brutal post-match assessment about why he's playing at centre-back at the moment. Rob Atkinson, who, of course, he signed for £1.5 million, well down the pecking order at the minute, not in his plans at the moment. And when he was asked why Rob Atkinson's not playing at centre-back and Andy King is, he said it was down to trust. So there's clearly been a falling out there. It's a bit of volumes, doesn't it? It does. And given the amount of goals Bristol City have shipped in, and and they have signed defenders under Pearson as well to, to alienate someone in the way that he is with Atkinson it just doesn't sit well does it let's be fair and I think you saw for the equaliser that Stokes scored through Liam Delap, it was really soft wasn't it Andy King should if that was Rob Atkinson he goes and wins that header it was a very soft goal to concede but Pearson clearly thinks he's doing the right thing for the squad it's very it feels very jumbled this Bristol City squad I feel like one minute players are in favour the next minute they're not I thought that, in fairness, the the opening goal for Campering did really well at left back. But again, he's playing like left centre back, left back, not really playing for a little bit. We've seen Jay De Silva in and now. We've seen all sort of concoctions of midfield. We've seen Andy Vyman as a 10. We've seen him at right wing back. We've seen him play right midfield. It, I don't really think he knows still what his best team is or where he's at with this squad. And they have had some investment, albeit they've had to trim the wage bill and they're trying to bring through young players. It's just all a bit odd, really, at Bristol City. That said, big win for Stoke and Alex Neal, which they really needed. They moved to a back three in this one with Jacob Brown playing right wing back and he eventually got the winner. So, really good win for Stoke and Alex Neal, which they needed. But Bristol City just, just continue to be a very hard team to understand and, and work out right now. Well, yeah, for Stoke, I mean, good win for them. It really is. You know, obviously, they got a point in the first game back at the restart, didn't they? That to that home draw and then obviously to go to Bristol City you know it's such a such a strange place to go Bristol City you don't know what you're going to get from them but Stoke obviously came through it you know got the job done another goal for Liam Delap. really you know he started to turn the corner now two in his last two scored against Cardiff last week and then obviously it sat at Bristol City and, and for Jacob Brown obviously got the winner good to see him back on the score sheet you know we've not really seen much of him this season in terms of goals so Really, really pleased to see him, you know, get back amongst them. And, you know, we know what a player Jacob Brown is at this level. We know what he's capable of. You know, I know you're a big fan of him, certainly have been in previous years. And I think for Stoke now, that the test is to try and get a little bit of momentum because they're a bit like Bristol City in a way. They get a win, then they go backwards again. It's a strange kind of one with Stoke. You know, that you look at their longest sequence of wins this season, the longest winning run they've put together is two wins in a row. And that was back in October. So... The challenge for them now is to really lay down, you know, a bit of a marker. And, you know, you look at the next game, Rotherham away on Boxing Day, you know, could you really ask for a better opportunity to make it back-to-back wins? Not really on paper, but we know the Championship is capable of springing a surprise. So, I don't think Alex Neal will be letting his players, you know, rest on the laurels after that win at the weekend. They've got to try and, you know, keep a bit of a run going now. They're unbeaten in two. That's something, I suppose. They've only lost one of the last four as well. So, you know, the form is picking up but only gradually. But I think with the players that Alex Neal's got and the quality of him as a manager, there's definitely a lot more to come. Definitely, without a doubt. But, you know, it's, I'm going back to the whole thing again where I've said a few times in this episode that this playoff race is obviously so tight. They're, they're equal points at the minute, Stoke with West Brom. They're only a point behind Coventry. You know, it's not beyond possible that they could mount a playoff push of their own. I can't see it personally. I think there's better teams in front of them than in and around them. But you know, if they you know if they really want it, they've got a good chance because there is some good individuals in that squad. So I think the biggest challenge for Alex Neal now is you know pushing on, trying to find a way just to get some consistency. Because you know you you look at Stoke's sequence of results this season and it's win, draw, lose, win, defeat, 
lose, win. You know, it's so hit and miss with Stoke. And the biggest problem they've got is that lack of consistency. So we know where the challenge lies. Alex Neil, you know, he's had enough time now really to get to know his players and, you know, try and work out his best system. I feel he's been there the best part of, best part of three months now. So some interesting how, you know, they pick up over Christmas and New Year, but good win at the weekend. Just the challenge now is, as I've said, is maintaining that consistency level because really that's the only thing missing from us. So because we know they've got the players, you know, at this level to do damage. Because you know, you look at the lap; he's really highly rated with Man City. Lewis Baker's been class since he came in, you know, at the start of the year. And then you've got Jacob Brown, Tyrese Campbell. You know, the attacking options are there. Just find a way for, for that consistency. So hopefully, Stoke that win at Bristol City is going to be a sign of things to come, and they can turn a corner. Yeah, absolutely. There were three draws in the Championship, George. Quite a, a lot of good games, really. Coventry City, three. Swansea, three. Obviously, the pick of the bunch. A bonkers game at the Coventry <laughs> Building Society Stadium. Coventry played really, really well for 70 minutes. Some lovely flowing moves. I thought the third goal for Giocarez, who finished it off, that was a sensational no, team so, move, wasn't it? I'm ending the debate now. That guy is the best striker in the Championship. I'm having no other words said. That guy is absolute quality. He can play yeah. in the Premier League. Jamie Allen was probably quite gutted about it because his goal was pretty good. It, for his goal was very nice. Very and nice indeed. We saw a very uncharacteristic defensive collapse that allowed Swansea back in. Now, we shouldn't be shocked about Swansea's side of this because they've picked up 14 points from losing positions this season. They're clearly very good at coming back and rescuing points. But very unlike Coventry, particularly at home, to give away three goals and defend in the manner they did. There were some very sloppy bits of defending in there, which... Mark Robbins was obviously very confused and frustrated about given how well they'd played for 70 minutes. So that was a bit of a bonkers game. Um, Hull City won, Sunderland won, Elliot Embleton getting sent off. I've never, I can't recall a player getting sent off and taken off on a stretcher in the same move. <laughs> that was a new one. Um, I thought it was a bit harsh. I didn't think it was really a red card. I can see why the referee's given it, you know, in, in this day and age. But, you know, I don't think there was any real malice in there. No. But, you know, I can, I can see why the ref has done it, but personally, you know, if I, if I was a Sunderland fan, I'd have felt aggrieved by that. Yeah, and I thought it, I thought Hull's penalty wasn't a penalty either. I thought Dan Ballard got a good section of the ball, mm. which obviously is stupid and stuck wide anyway. He's really not in form at the moment, having scored seven in August and September. He's not scored, he's scored one goal since, I think it is. So it's not worked for him. And then, of course, Ross Stewart, after three months out, Really cool finish, lovely, uh, just a cheeky finish under the under the goalkeeper as he jumped out, expecting him to lob it over him. But I think Hull did deserve a point and, and Tufan got that equaliser they deserved. And then just outside of that, really good for Sunderland to see Dan Ballard back, who gave away the penalty, but I'm not sure it was a penalty. He probably played more than they would have hoped because he came on in the 14th minute for Danny Bart, who got injured himself. But really good to see Dan Ballard back fit, who I think is one of the Certainly one of the brightest centre-back prospects in the Championship. So good to see him back after a couple of months out. And then finally, Cardiff City won Blackpool won, which probably had more talking points than you'd expect. Obviously, the goals were from Atete, who put Cardiff in front with a really nice finish. Lovely assist by Callum Robinson with the outside of the boot pass. And then Gary Medine, who, in my eyes, should have absolutely been sent off for a stamp on Perry and G. It was obviously dismissed earlier in the season retrospectively for a, a similar stamp on Lewis Travis at, for Black, when they played Blackburn Rovers. And Mark Hudson accused him of saying at halftime that he was going to do Perry. And then obviously he did. And then to add insult to injury, he scores the equalising goal. So I think he'll get, well, he can't get done retrospectively because the, the referee's seen it. But nasty that. You can tell like that, that is premeditated, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. You can tell he's gone in for that. Without a doubt. But... Yeah, he's he's got away with it, and then he's popped up with the equaliser against his old club. So really, who would have loved this little trip back to Wales, won't he, Gary Medine? Well, the bigger concern for Cardiff really at this point is they are now under a transfer embargo, which will last three windows until the summer of 2024. This is due to the the first instalment of the Emiliano Sala transfer fee that they are have been judged to owe. The transfer is judged to have been complete by um, by the lawyers. So they owe £5.1 million for that first instalment of that transfer. The club say they're confident they'll get this resolved before January. But obviously, it's one thing for January to be affected, which obviously is in 12 days. But 
if they don't sign anyone until 2024, they'll get relegated. Like they can't go free free windows without signing everyone. And, and understandably, the fans are very concerned. Well, absolutely, they're bound to be, aren't they? You know, it's it's not a situation you want to be in. Whether you know you're going for promotion, trying to stave off relegation, or whether you're just you know a mid-table championship team who's not really got you know aspirations of promotion or the worries of relegation. So it's not good for anybody. But for Cardiff, I mean. You know, they are a club still in, going through a transitional phase, really. Obviously, they brought in a hell of a lot of players during the summer and there's not really been huge progress made, shall we say. You know, they're still very, very close to the relegation zone. Two points is, is all that's in it. So, you know, it could, it could be decisive in deciding their fate this season if it's not resolved by, by next month. So, I think, you know, Mark Hudson's been very, very worried about that. But, you know, you've got to accept, the fans have got to accept that it's not his fault. He can't control the situation. It's beyond his his capabilities. So, for him, on the football side of things, he's just got to try and focus on preparing his players for each match and seeing what they can do. Because, you know, there's been some been some good bits from Cardiff at times this season. There's been some very bad bits. But I think, you know, when you've got a player like Callum Robinson, for instance, you know, you've got the know-how knowing that you've got a player that could possibly conjure he's something star up. star quality, in isn't he? Oh, he is, without a doubt. You know, just from the highlights I saw of the Blackpool game on Saturday, you know, in that first half alone, he he was the man that was creating everything, pulling the strings. So, you know, a lot's going to rest on him, you feel, for their hopes of staying up because he is the standout player in that squad. So, you know, big period coming up for Cardiff, but, you know, they're hanging up very, very close to that relegation, relegation places. So, big, big period, but they've got to try and get this sorted out as quickly as they can. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Then finally, we'll round off this week's pod with our shots and bankers for Boxing Day. George, what have you got? Boxing Day, what a day of football that is! The best of the lot, the best of the year. Feels a long way away right now. Yeah, I mean, what is it? Eight days away, recording this Sunday. Yeah, it does seem weird doing it for a week on Monday, but there we go. Yeah. But in terms of my uh, shots and bankers for Boxing Day, um, for my banker, I'm going to go for Watford at home to Millwall in the in the early kickoff on Boxing Day. Watford looking good at the minute. Millwall. Bit hit and miss really of late, but Watford looking very good, particularly defensively, as we've said. So that's what I'm going to go for more as my banker. As my shock, I'm going to go for Wigan to win at Middlesbrough, if that counts as a shock. With the form Borough have been in, you know, Wigan, yeah, you know, under new management, Colatore, admittedly, we've not seen them yet in their second game against Sheffield United on Monday night. That might perhaps change my opinion, depending on what happens in that game, but I'm going to go brave. Let's go for Wigan to win at Borough. I've got the same banker as you, Watford to beat Millwall for very similar reasons that you just outlined. And my shock is Luton Town to beat Norwich at Kenilworth Road. Obviously, I watched Norwich in in the flesh on Saturday and they were really poor. And I feel like things are starting to turn under Dean Smith. As we discussed earlier in the pod, Luton obviously were, have their game postponed against Millwall this weekend, so they've not played. They were unlucky to lose probably against Middlesbrough, maybe deserved to lose, maybe deserved a point. Um, and I think that, you know, with a good crowd at the Kenny, <clears throat> I would fancy them to, to beat Norwich. So I've got Watford to beat Millwall as my banker and Luton to beat Norwich as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from for the latest episode every single week. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Don't forget to get involved in our Football Manager giveaway as well if you fancy a free copy in time for Christmas. A huge thanks as always to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out for any of your business needs. Thank you for listening as always and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.